0: hey guys welcome to because i said so the podcast where we discuss age and how it affects how we perceive ourselves how we perceive others and the conversations that we have because of it thank you for listening and please leave a review to support the podcast thank you We have a very special guest today. You'll hear me call her coach, but her name is Laura Lewis. So do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hi guys, I'm Laura Lewis, and I am an English and art history teacher at Hume Fogg, and also a cross-country coach, and also a mom to a a four-and-a-half-year-old, who I lovingly refer to as the tiny human, and a golden retriever. Um yeah and so i think that obviously during this time especially
0: being a teacher and having a young child um there's so much going on and it's just a very tumultuous time so kind of leading into things how are you feeling really right now
1: um you know i feel like it changes day to day um i saw a meme a couple of weeks ago that called <laughs> it the corona coaster and <laughs> there are days that you're like feeling incredible and sometimes you realize that since the whole world has slowed down and we are not moving at such a rapid pace you can appreciate things that you didn't appreciate before
0: yeah
1: so on those days i feel super thankful for my husband family and being able to spend time together that we haven't had before and um to this extent and then other days know it just feels like total and utter despair because i watch people around me who are suffering and struggling and you know we're all worried about the future and um, a lot of times when i'm trying to help students and athletes through struggles you know i tell students to um, kind of compartmentalize things in a way where they put things into a category that they can control and then things into category that they can't control and focus your energy on those things you can control but like we're all in this roller coaster together like white knuckling it and there's there's so many things that we can't control and so many unknowns you know so there's always like that underlying sense of struggle and that underlying sense of stress and so i think just trying to like balance the dichotomy of those has been really challenging over the past couple of months and then also Um, I also found this to happen during the flood of 2010 and during the tornado, there's also this really intense juxtaposition of you step outside and it's an absolutely beautiful, gorgeous day, you Mm -hmm. know. around and you're like oh my gosh it feels like just a normal day and so like seeing a normal day and seeing like all the flowers blooming in my neighborhood right now and more people going walks all the time and waving as they pass and seeing that versus knowing that like the world is like part of it has been literally on fire in 2020 between australia and now california you know so like also trying to like just like bring the terms looking at things and having it seem normal and there are so many people who are going through normal days right now and then there's so many people who, but knowing that there's so many people who are not and then being a part of the people who are not going through normal days right now and so i think like that's also one of the things that's contributing to like intense um thankfulness for certain points in life and then at the same time like that underlying stress and uncertainty that we're all feeling
0: Yeah. And I know for me, one of the things that you've worked on with me throughout um, my career as an athlete has been those things that I can control and things that I can't control, because for me, that's one of those big things. And so I know for me, it's exacerbated during this time where there's so much uncertainty and specifically diving into what you're saying about compartmentalizing those two. As a teacher, how has it been um, trying to figure out those two categories and like what you can and can't control and trying to adapt to that atmosphere
1: as well? Mm, That's a good question. So I think that because, you know, it's like when you coach somebody, you become a better runner yourself. When you teach something, when you teach writing, you become a better writer yourself because there's that idea that, you know, you retain, I don't know the exact percentages, but like you retain 1% of what you read. You contain like, you retain like 10% of what you write. You retain like 50% of what you apply and interact with. And then you retain like 90% of what you teach, you know, and those numbers are off. There's some more statistics out there. Um, But, you know, so being able to coach people through it and being able to help other people cope right now is probably one of my coping mechanisms because it is something that if I can make somebody else's day a little bit better, then I do feel like I've had a positive impact on this world. And if I can help somebody else through something, then at the same time, I am also reminding myself, all right, Laura, you know, make sure can, are you worrying about something you can't control? Can you take that energy change it, call it excitement, and then put that energy into something that you can control. And what I can control is, the, is how I am supporting you guys. You know, So if I can help students through that, then that actually can help me as I'm also processing. And it makes me feel like I'm making a difference other than just like sitting and just watching everything happen. So
0: yeah, I think that's really beautiful how you kind of talked about, um, I think it's it's also interesting to see like you're going through it too. And I think so often we kind of view our teachers or our parents as like infallible um, or like that they know everything. And I think right now to have you going through it with us, I mean, it's kind of like you what you said, I think it's cathartic both to you and to us to kind of be like, okay, we're all in this together. <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you guys want to view me as perfect, then you know, <laughs> right. But I mean, that's another reason that when I'm out there, and I'm running y'all's workouts with you, you know, I don't run them as fast as y'all do anymore. But um, I still run every single step that I assign to you guys, I'm running the exact same amount. And so, you know, being able to work through everything, with y'all has definitely been you know it's like we're on the same team and yeah. we are <laughs> like we literally are on the same team and so that's been really helpful as well and then i do think with cross country i'm also again that's one of those things that i put in the category of being really thankful because our sport lends itself to being a quarantine approved activity yeah and Easy for me to separate you guys into groups. You know, some of you are already in germ pods together, and you've been training together through the entire thing, and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to put you guys in groups and stay six feet, way more than six feet apart, um, while we're doing workouts, and um, you know, and so you can have that sense of normalcy and that yeah. sense of structure and that sense of routine. And I think that that helps. That's one of the things I've heard my students say a lot is that they really appreciated not having so much like academic stress constantly weighing on them. And they got a mental break during the quarantine. But at the same time, that comes with a lack of routine. And yeah. so saying like my advisory is saying, they were excited to get back into having some sort of sense of routine. You know, so I think that's another thing that we can all focus on is like, what does this routine look like?
0: Yeah, I know for me, that was definitely such a huge thing mentally because a routine, um, even though it oftentimes feels like assigned to you, it is something that you can control. And it kind of goes in that category of like, okay, I know what I'm doing. These are the things. It's very regimented. It's very planned. And I think that, yeah, finding some sense of structure, I mean, even for people that aren't in school, even for adults that have work, things like that, um, whether you're working from home or going to work. And Kind of going back to um, like the beginning of when this all started, what were your thoughts initially about school? What were your concerns then, especially when it relates to students' mental
1: health? So, yeah, that is such a good point, because a lot of what I do as a teacher and coach, like sometimes you guys joke like, yes, I'm a cross country coach, but you say I'm a coach of life yeah <laughs> because the other thing too, is that when we're running, you know we have miles and miles and miles, like last weekend, I ran with one of the groups for or no two weekends ago when we we're doing our long run. I ran with one of the groups for I think an hour and eighteen minutes yeah and it's a lot of time to be able to talk about things and to be able to um really figure out like how you're feeling, and also because running can be relaxing I know the listeners who are um, listening to this are cringing at that and um, yeah. crazy um, but there is that point when you're not running hard when you're doing runs that are um, the pace is at a conversational pace for you then you have that moment it's like your body is doing this motion and it can allow your mind the ability to clear and to think about things So the emotional health is something that I'm always concerned about and I'm always supporting students through, you know, so many different things that, and like, um, big, huge things that happen in high school, especially when high school is when a lot of students come out as being gay, bisexual, transgendered, and need that extra support because they're really coming into their own and their identities. High school is also a time when... You know, I've supported students through homelessness and through the loss of parents and through the loss of siblings and, you know, whether, um, you know, or through the loss of parental jobs and, you know, things like that. And so um, and just through, you know, just also everyday life and especially through relationships, because one of the things that I find interesting and I think this speaks to the overall meaning of and the spirit of your podcast is that a lot of times adults will look at high school relationships. Yeah. Not really like look like looking down on them is not the right word, but it's like they don't give as much credence to them because they know that they're because statistically speaking, the relationship is not going to last you know very few people end up marrying the person the first person that they dated in high school right and so adults will sometimes look at this and be like oh this isn't a long term like a long long term relationship mm-hmm. and so they think of it as not quite as significant however what happens is at the high school level this is when you are creating your own identity and so this is speaking to this mental health component and the socio i mean like social emotional component is that this is when you're creating your own identity and your first relationship is how the boundaries that you're setting of how do you want other people to treat you yeah. and how do you want to treat somebody else in a relationship and how are you going to work and grow together with this other person? And that is so important. And like, those are the types of things that you carry with you through your entire lives. And so you're creating the structure within a relationship and even if the relationship isn't going to last and some of them do and that's fabulous but you know statistically speaking the relationship will end but it's not that person it is this um you're moving into this identity of you being in a more serious romantic relationship with another individual and so you know that is a huge part of your mental health um the other thing that, and so that's like relations, like your interpersonal relationships that you guys, yeah. are, and you don't have access to people right now, you know, so you're not able to see them face to face. The other thing I find interesting is that um, I do, so I read the article of the APA, the American Pediatric Association, and it was a really big thing because it happened towards the end of summer before school came back and they were recommending at that point that children return to school. And they said that everything that we do is a risk benefit, like a cost benefit analysis, a risk assessment, that's what I'm looking for. Everything we do right now in during this time period is a risk assessment at a larger degree than what we normally do. And so the idea that they were saying was like founded in some really good ideas because it's looking at what is best for these children to be isolated and in their homes, and you know, pediatricians are saying that they're recording higher levels of depression in children. They're recording um, higher, the lower levels of activity, and so you know, children are um, are you know just not not being as active and therefore not feeling as good. And so you know that part is really bad. And so they're saying, all right, the risks for this are the benefits for this for children are outweighing the risks because we're looking at, we're seeing lower transmission rates between children. And so the idea and the essence behind that I think was really strong and coming from a really good place. I think where they maybe um, could have been elaborated a little bit more is the fact that, and this is, this is frustrating to me too, is the fact that sometimes children this word children get gets lumped into everyone who's 18 and below yeah mm-hmm. sometimes even 21 and below I'm like you can't tell me like it's just not you know they, so we just needed more elaboration because you know so like younger children you know haven't been um, seeing as many people so do we have lower transmission rates because of that are they lower death rates you yeah know, like exactly are we at because we all know that we have data but we're still working on interpreting that data and so the other idea is that at the you know at the elementary school level like you can't tell me that and there are a lot of kindergarten teachers who are working so hard like there's some teacher <laughs> so well-meaning but it's just such an imperfect solution to try and put a kindergartner in virtual learning they don't get the same however a high school student You know, so when we're talking about um, students, you know, 15 through 18 or 14 through 18, like it is a very different situation because we can give a really quality education. We don't have it's not the same, but we can still um, convey material. We can still do these amazing things in classes and breakout rooms and things like that. And then the other thing is, um, a couple of weeks after that, I read an article by a psychologist who was saying more anecdotally, so he's looking at his patient's caseload, the overall data, but he was saying that he saw drops in stress from his clients because school creates a lot of anxiety for students. And so he says that in general, when he asks his clients who are high school aged, um, to rate their level of stress during every single day, during time period of the day and the full of the day, their stress is lower on the weekends, you know, cause they're not trying to get up and get to school and get all their assignments and get everything done. Yeah. And you know, from one class shuffle from this class to this class to this class. Okay. Uh, cram some lunch in your face. Okay. Now change and get to your band practice. Okay. Now, um, you got to leave band practice 15 minutes early so you can get to your sports practice and, you know, then go home and finish your art portfolio, you yeah. know, Being well rounded. And so, you know, he's saying that he's seeing lower levels of stress because students are able to balance things more because we're having Mm -hmm. more transition time. And so he's saying with his particular caseload and his high school age students, he's actually seeing less stress with them during the pandemic. And he was positing the idea that maybe this is leading that. That it is not as bad mentally for some high school students. You know, so it's kind of interesting when you're talking. I hope I didn't go in too long for that one.
0: Oh, no, that was so interesting. I was just enthralled the whole time. Um, I love the statistics and the data. And kind of, yeah, it's so interesting, I think, how you are acknowledging that difference in the specificity um, and how you have to really be careful about what you're saying and be specific. um, Because I know, I think. For me, there was that bit in the beginning where I was like feeling less anxious and I was feeling good. And it's, it's kind of like what you said about the Corona Coaster. Like it, there were times mm-hmm. when I was less anxious and times when I was just so much more anxious. And I think, um, yeah, it's it's just such a complex thing with mental health. And especially um, when you get into the young adult sphere, because I think that there's so many outside factors Um, that are contributing to that and having a younger child yourself I was kind of interested Mm -hmm. in um, a how she's been handling that and b kind of even though you're a high school teacher what that's taught you about being a parent Mm
1: -hmm. so I would say that um, Aziza is definitely has moment for the most part I would say Aziza is living her best life Because um, at the very beginning of the coronavirus, um, I was trying very hard to make sure that she was still, so she's four and a half right now. Yeah. And so she's in that preschool phase. So a lot of what she's doing and interpreting and learning about the world is through play and, you know, through activities and lots of hands-on activities Yeah. uh, Before coronavirus, um, I would have described myself as not a Pinterest mom, but (laughs) Amazon Prime mom. (laughs) Trying to uh, raise a child and make sure that, you know, I'm paying attention to my relationship with Chris. And still growing with that, and then making sure that I'm teaching, and then coaching, and you know, trying to make sure that everyone's needs are met. Yeah, is can be very, very challenging. So one of the things I realized is that when um, I had a little bit of extra time, I became Pinteresty as shit. <laughs> say that yes yes Do yes it? does it make it explicit now I don't oh, know maybe no, maybe yeah. a e on there if it doesn't need to be on there okay <laughs> yeah and so I was able to like have time to create these little obstacle courses for her and yeah. we had rainbow rice and we looked at dye and then we used um we uh did kitchen art where we got baking soda and we uh mixed Um, food coloring with vinegar and we would drip it on there and then I showed her like Jackson Pollock paintings to that and so you know so I was able to create a lot of activities however I had the time to do that because at that point school pretty much came to a screeching halt yeah when we were trying to make sure that everyone's um main needs were met Mm -hmm. and because tornado time. And that was the beginning of coronavirus. So we were trying to make sure that our students within our district had shelter, food, clothing, medicine, you know, like baby formula, you know, so that's when we were doing all of that. So I still had time to go help clean up in East Nashville and then do other things and then do activities for her because we were doing volunteer work, but it wasn't like an all day, every day thing. Yeah. So That was something where we could do that. And then I think Aziza also had some ups and downs because we've explained to her how, like, what a virus is, and, you know, why we can't go and hug everybody now, and why, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're on a hike, we have to move to the side of the trail and let people pass on the other side of the trail so we don't get too close, and why we have to wear masks, you know. And so I was very, um, I was very careful to make sure that any of that I was. I told her, explained to her the seriousness of it without trying to, without unintentionally um, causing her anxiety. Yeah. So um, practicing, like I would literally practice what I would say to her to make sure I had the right words, and then you know had the right demeanor, and um, and so I think we did a good job with that. Um, she did internalize. Some of her anxieties in a way that um, it would like pop up here and there. Yeah. And, um, in certain ways. Um, like she started having some bathroom accidents that she had not had for like, a, like, like two years, year and a half, you know. And so that was, I think that was something that was happening, you know. And so, um, and that's the thing too, though, is as a parent, you want to protect your children but you also can't protect them from everything and if you try too hard to overprotect them then they're not going to be able to develop the skills to yeah. get through the tough parts in life mm-hmm. you know and so that's the thing is that as a parent it's so hard to find that balance of how can i protect her from the bad things of the world but at the same time make sure that she is can like grow on her own because yeah. to stunt her growth simply because i'm trying to give her some magical childhood that doesn't actually exist anywhere mm-hmm.
0: so yeah. that's one yeah. of the
1: things that we've worked on
0: and i think it's also fundamentally difficult at that age because that's a time when relationships and is also such a big um, factor and how you learn about the world and interactions with other kids and things like that. And I can't imagine how difficult that is as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so we did do some really awesome things. Um, so part of it was frustrating because my uh, brother and sister-in-law live in Nashville and I'm really close with my brother, Andrew. And um, his my sister-in-law, Danielle, is a nurse. And so she was in COVID units on some of the times. And so we weren't able to see them for, you know, months at a time. And then we made sure to quarantine for really hardcore for two weeks before we went home to visit Chris's parents. And um, and then when we left, so we got to visit them twice over the summer. And then I got to see my wolf. I got to do a um, Romeo and Juliet visit with my grandmother. Yeah. She so she comes out on the balcony <laughs> and come down there. And so. Um, Yeah, and so, but then when we left the second time in Jackson, we had to tell Aziza that we weren't sure when we would see her grandparents again, because Chris is going back to school and he's teaching in person. Yeah. So we have to be able to quarantine before we can go and see his parents. And so that means like, we're just not sure when we can see them again. And I know that that's a situation that a lot of people um, everywhere are having as well.
0: Yeah. And um, I was kind of wondering, too, about how you noticed, I guess, just, like, the differences in like, the spectrum of age, just kind of to get, like, all of it, about how Mama Harriet um, was kind of dealing with this mentally, too, just kind of that, like, spectrum of everyone.
1: Yeah, so Mama Harriet is mad as hell, and then <laughs> when you call her and ask her how she's doing, she goes, well, I'm alive, I suppose, <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, So Mama Harriet will be 93 years old on September the 1st.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, so she's in an assisted living home in Mississippi. And um, she went from basically having, you know, a pretty good social life within her home. And, you know, we have a lot of family in in Jackson. And so we visit her as often as we can. Yeah. Um, And uh, but she has a bridge club that she plays with and she was an educator and a librarian for a lot of her life so you know she took over and completely reorganized the library because it was not to her specifications when she moved (laughs) and um so and then she has um you know people that she eats dinner with and then they have cocktail hour together which you know sometimes is at 10 o'clock in the morning because you know you get to do that stuff when you're retired (laughs) and so um she is you know, it's, it's really hard is cause she basically calls the, uh, her assisted living facility, she calls it prison. Yeah. She can't go anywhere. And that is really hard because again, it's like this double-edged sword where you're trying to protect people, but in order to protect people, they have to be isolated. And that is the worst thing. If you're talking about emotional health, that's, you know, the worst thing that you can do for someone who is, for anybody, but specifically people who are older. And, you know, so that is really frustrating and I feel a lot of guilt and a lot of frustration because of that. Um, And so, and then it's also hard too, because when I do go visit her, um, like this past summer, you know, they have certain visiting hours and when we do the balcony visits, she comes out on the balcony, but it's really hot. And, yeah you know and i'm like okay so what's going on and she's like you know, i mean she does not she also told me she was like she doesn't have a lot to talk about because when we when i would go visit when i go home and i visit her every day then we talk about the books she's reading cuz she's absolutely brilliant and we would talk about um you know latest political things cuz she's very interested in that and we would talk about you know a bunch of things but by the fourth day of the visit like there's not a, she doesn't, she can't like go anywhere and do stuff, you know? yeah So she did get to go, um, to a doctor's appointment to, for a back situation. And, um, she said that the doctor's visit was the most fun she'd had in months. <laughs> <laughs> Leave, you know? And so yeah. that's one of those things where it's really frustrating, you know, and she understands, but it just doesn't make it any better, you know? And so mm-hmm. I um, talked to her at first, she was like, I kept saying like, Mama I I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so sorry you're back, and you're stuck in there. And finally, she was like, You've just got to quit apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> wine or something? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, trying to figure out like making, because she also doesn't want my pity. And so, trying to figure out how to make sure that she knows that I care about her and I feel for the situation that she's in without like, I guess I kind of overdid it on one visit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I know for me, I mean, obviously being ninety three is like a long way away for me. But um growing up has always been one of my big fears. And I think part of it is trying to find purpose along the way. And so I think that right now, especially in that situation, I think that it can be difficult to find that sense of purpose and that sense of joy when there's not a whole lot that you're able to do. And mm-hmm. so yeah, I think I think it's hard because like you do want to get that pity and you do want to be like, I'm sorry that you're dealing with this, but at the same time there's not that much that you can really do about it. And there's not that much that um, the pity or like feeling sorry for someone can really change. And so it's kind of difficult to know exactly how to help.
1: And I think that that's a really challenging aspect of this too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right now her main sense of purpose um, is a political sense. Can I mention that or? Yeah. So basically her main sense of purpose is she has stated quite clearly on multiple occasions that she is going to make sure that she stays alive until she can cast her ballot in November and vote Trump in <laughs> office.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's also like that aspect of things is so, um, cool too, just to see, I mean, I don't know. I, cause I've seen obviously like a lot of people my age being involved with, um, the political aspect of things, even though some of us like can't vote yet. And I think mm-hmm. it's just, it's been so cool to be able to hear from so many different, perspectives in so many different ages mm-hmm. yeah, and I think absolutely that's like that's that is one of the beautiful things our political process is not perfect but it does allow for such like a wide um, array of experiences behind everything mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that's really beautiful and kind of um, just like a note to end on is can you talk a little bit about how your experience teaching has infect- has affected your intentionality with raising Aziza
1: Mm, that's such a fun question. So I think the first way that I'll start off answering this is that um, it's really important to recognize that your relationship, so a students' relationship with a teacher or a students' relationship with a coach is very different than your relationship with your parent. And so it's a very different type of relationship. And so um, as a teacher and a coach, you know, I view myself as because the thing is, it can get a little challenging because a lot of times, as your coach, I know more information about your personal life and how you feel than your parent knows at this particular juncture in life. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I call you my mom person half the time. Yeah, so, exactly. And my coach was my dad person. And so, my high school coach was Andy Till, who's an incredible human being. And just like absolutely inspirational. And one of the reasons that he was so helpful in my formative years, and he is one of the main reasons that I have been in education and coaching for the past 14 years of my life and have dedicated my life to this is because the impact that he had on us and that he had on our team. And, you know, so, but it is a very different situation. So I view myself basically, you know, there's the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And so I view myself as part of the village, you know, and so I I always want parents to know that like we're working on this together and your parent is always your parent. And they've been there for so many years and they're going to be there for so many more years. And I'm, I'm here like during this interim time period to help you guys through this like crazy challenging time period. And I'm here as a helper. And so that's the big thing is that um, is that, you know, your parent is always your parent and I'm just here, like as part of your crew and your team. So that I also am very aware of the fact that when Aziza gets to high school age, you know, I will then be in your parents' shoes and I just hope and hope and hope that she has somebody who is investing in her and is helping guide her when she thinks that I don't know anything that I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> And so, um, so, and so that's one thing that I always keep very clear is that, you know, parental relationships and coach relationships are so special, but they're also very different. And I think the, one of the main things that I've seen from having access to y'all's thoughts and y'all's feelings and you guys is that it is just so cool to see how talented and how capable y'all are. Mm-hmm. and. I, but a lot of times <clears throat> adults underestimate things that high schoolers can do.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think they underestimate how sophisticated your thoughts can be and how clear your understanding can be. Now, at times, you know, you haven't we've had experiences that you guys haven't had, you know, and an experience is the best teacher, but at the same time, sometimes I think adults look back and forget how, and also parents, like, we are, we are so used to taking care of y'all, and so it's hard when we've been taking care of y'all, like, uh, starting high school, freshman high school for 15 years, and, like, all of our, like, uh, so many times we put ourselves second to make sure that, you know, you guys have what you need, and Mm -hmm. very hard to then be like, wait a minute, it's like, okay, okay, backpedal, 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 now, like, go forth into the world. Yeah, yeah. super hard to find that balance. And so what happens is as y'all are growing and as the dynamic of your parental relationship is shifting, it's uh, you're finding a new balance and then it'll shift again. Once you get out of high school, I mean, once, and once you get out of college and, but at the same time, like you always need that parent and you always need that person where, you know, you're their daughter and you're their little girl, no matter how old you get, because that's a really special relationship to have. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is that um, I do want to recognize the capabilities of Aziza. And so that's why I started calling her the tiny human instead of the baby is because when you have the idea of a baby, you know, someone who's like helpless and someone who um, is like can't do anything for themselves, you know. And so I wanted to make sure that I was recognizing her capabilities. And yeah. So I called her the tiny human and then it just kind of stuck and so a lot of people just call her tiny even though she's not tiny anymore <laughs> and, um, and my uh, youngest brother Andrew, he's the one who gave her that nickname and um, when she was two days old and he first met her and he was like, oh, she's the tiny human and so <laughs> he started referring to her as the tiny human and so then I started referring to her as the tiny human so I have to give Andrew credit for coming up with that. Yeah. Uh, and, but then once I started thinking about it, I kind of liked the symbolism behind that. Mm-hmm. And then I asked Andrew at one point, I said, okay, well, when does she go from the tiny human to the not so tiny human or the small human? And he just looked at me deadpan and he goes, never. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, one of the things I think too, is that um Aziza is uh, a really physically active kid and she loves climbing things. She climbs everything. Oh yeah, at the climbing gym too. She'll just go up mm-hmm. up up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um since I've gotten into rock climbing um after I moved to Nashville, like I've loved that because it's something special that we can share together. Yeah. And- also very aware that I don't want to push her into running just because I love running. I want her to be able to live her own life. And if she loves musicals, then like, go for that. Just because like, I don't want, I'm, you know, I had a really wonderful athletic career and I pushed myself to really high levels and I don't need to relive it through her. You know, it's not what she, especially if that's not what she wants. I think that's so important. Like being content with your own
0: um, life and your own accomplishments and not trying to
1: push that on her. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but one of the things I have noticed is that she really does love climbing. And so I will let her climb things that um, other people, um, I've I've watched other people's faces when we're somewhere and she's climbing something that I was like, I wouldn't have thought to climb the signpost. Like she <laughs> climbs up the signpost um, that's outside of her daycare center and will get... <laughs> the bottom of the sign and tap it and then climb her little self back down and you know I watch people on the sidewalk, and I'm standing right there you know so I can I can catch her if she falls but I have watched people's faces when they're just like oh my gosh because she's like a small kid and just like shimmying up that little signpost and I watch people's faces going oh my gosh you know and I've seen her climbing other things that have you know that are not just like jungle gym stuff And people get really nervous and really worried. And they're like, what if she falls? And so one of the things that um, I know her capabilities because I've watched her climb so many things and we've been in the climbing gym together and I've taught her, you know, like tiny human techniques. And so I know what she can do. And so um, I'm comfortable allowing her to take these risks because she's not real high off the ground. And I'm like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? She can fall. It would hurt her. You know, she... Mm -hmm. Um, is pretty good at catching herself. There's always the thing, like, maybe she breaks a bone. Well, yeah, but I can't, like, I got to let her, like, learn and grow and figure out how her body moves so that, you know, everything, like we said at the beginning, everything is a calculated risk. Yeah. So I got to let, allow her to make her own risks and make her own mistakes. And like, the thing is, I can't shield her from everything. And obviously, I'm not going to put her in danger or, you know, force her to like view movies that are not appropriate for her. But if there are things that are happening or if it organically comes up or if the there are, you know, world events that are happening and we can't, and I can explain them to her and then support her and guide her and help her through them, then I think she'll come out, I hope she'll come out stronger <laughs> and happier because of that. But you know what? The big secret is, Is that um, none of us as parents know what we're doing? We're just (laughs) trying it as it goes along, and we try something, and I'm like, oh, dang, that didn't work. So then (laughs) we try something again, and then we think we have this parenting thing figured out. And then my friends who have multiple kids are like, oh, then the second kid came along, it's just nothing like the other one. So nothing that we did worked the whole time. So we're (laughs) starting back at square zero or square negative because we thought we had it figured out, and now we're in the hole. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so it's one of those things is I think just like recognizing capabilities and being a support and trying to guide and help and create some structure and support.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think that's so beautiful because that's something that I've noticed both in your intentionality as a mom person and a coach to all of us um, and just especially as a parent to Aziza is your intentionality and your love throughout the way. Um, so thank you so much, Kochi, for being on today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Yes. And this is one of my favorite episodes. Um, I think it was just so important and I really loved everything that you said. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening and remember to like, subscribe and share. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.